Good morning, everyone. My name is Phil Cates, and I'm the field crops educator uh, based in Lapeer County. And most of my responsibilities focus on forages and field crops. And this morning, we're privileged to have Dr. Kim Cassida talking about winter killing alfalfa. It's been a difficult winter, a uh, difficult fall last year, and so we're seeing a lot of fields of alfalfa that are struggling. And so we're going to ask Kim to share her thoughts this morning. And again, we will have the chat box open. If you have questions, make sure and type them in, and we'll make sure to ask Kim about those uh, at the end of her presentation. Thanks, everyone. Kim, you want to share your screen for us, please? Virtual breakfast on its way. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I think we had originally planned for me to talk about something else today in relation to alfalfa, but uh, with all the reports we're hearing from about the around the state of winter damage stands, we thought this would be a more timely topic. Uh, we are getting reports in from anywhere that, you know, some people, there are stands are fine. And in other places, we're hearing about up to 80% loss on fields. So obviously this is concerning people as we go into uh, where normally first cut would be coming up on us really fast. Uh, and it's looking like some of these stands are not going to be producing very much alfalfa. So people are, you know, wondering what to do and, and what they're looking at on fields. So first I want to start out by uh, talking a little bit about how to evaluate a field and determine what the degree of damage is that you have. So you have different things that you can see as a, as a sign that you've got winter damage. Obviously one of them is frost heaving. It's in this close-up of this plant right here, which is uh, actually about two inches out of the ground. Uh, it is not likely that that plant is going to survive, even though it does, it's trying to. It's got some shoots coming out of it. Um, it, it when, when crowns heave out, they can work themselves back down into the ground about a half an inch, but when they're out this far, uh, it's just a matter of time before that plant is going to be dead. So you need to be, if you have a lot of those in your stand, you need to be thinking about uh, long-term of what you're going to be doing. Um, another obvious sign of winter damage is when you have large dead patches like this. In this particular field, this is due to uh, water ponding, even though this is the side of a hill. Um, it had areas where water moves across it, and it's very typical for um, winter damage to be concentrated in these areas because ice sheets will form. Um, even under the snow, even if you don't see them. <clears throat> but there are other more subtle things that can be um, a sign of winter damage. So you might just notice that your alfalfa was just seemed exceptionally late to break dormancy. Uh, or you may see a stand like this one where you have some plants that are big and vigorous and others that are just barely starting, as in this close-up over here. Here's the big plant in the background and, um, and the smaller shoots in the front. So what is actually happening here is that alfalfa sets its first flush of crown buds for spring growth in the previous fall. And those will sit there right underneath the soil all winter, ready to pop in the spring as soon as the weather is good. If those buds get damaged by the cold weather, um, the plant may still survive, but it has to send up a new group of buds. Basically, you're starting second cut early. Um, and those ones will be delayed. So that's what these are, is the plant um, playing catch up. Uh, but obviously this can affect your yield in your first cutting. And also you don't know what degree of damage you actually have on these plants that, uh, 
are exhibiting uh, the slow growth. So in order to evaluate that, you really need to go out and dig some roots. Um, this picture illustrates uh, the part of the alfalfa root rating system that we do not like to see. A healthy root um, is white and, and clear all the way down through the taproot. Anytime you start to see any brown discoloration in the taproot, you have degrees of damage happening. This would be rated as a three. Um, you see there's not very many shoots on this plant and the crown rot is extending down into the center of the root, in this case, all the way down to the, as, dug, as deep as they've dug it here. And then a greater degree of damage in this uh, four. If you're seeing a lot of roots in your stand that are in these two categories, um, this is not good. We want to, a healthy alfalfa stand will have no more than 30% of the plants in the stand will be in these categories. Because um, the fifth category is dead. This is <laughs> progressing in a bad direction. Yeah, why isn't my slide in? There we go. So a lot of people are asking, uh, you know, what caused this? So obviously the cold winter weather is a big part of it, and there's nothing that we can do about that. Um, we had uh, exceptionally cold weather for part of the winter, and that was actually complicated by the fact that fall was kind of late, and alfalfa was slow to go dormant in the first place. In a lot of parts of the state, we had a lack of snow cover. Snow cover will help insulate the plants and protect them from that cold weather. Uh, and we had several ice storms in several places, which um, will cause that ice sheeting that will suffocate the plant. Another complicating factor was that the fall was so wet. Well, to begin with, alfalfa does not like wet. Uh, and the wet weather delayed a lot of fall operations. So, for example, some people were late getting out there with fertilizer or manure that they were applying on alfalfa, ended up driving on it late in the year on wet ground which uh, can cause a lot of traffic damage. Um, in some cases, the fertilizer never got out there, um, which can lead to low soil potassium. Fertility, and potassium is the most important nutrient in terms of helping plants uh, tolerate cold weather. So that's one of the first things we see when, uh, when potassium fertility is low is that we'll see greater winter kill. And lastly, uh, when people are harvesting in that six weeks before uh, the killing frost in the fall, you're potentially damaging the ability of the alfalfa to get through the winter uh, because you're using up part of the energy reserves that it needed uh, to keep in order to survive that cold weather. So some of these things are something we can do things about in future. Others of them, you know, we have to take what nature deals out to us. <clears throat> The first step in, in deciding what to do is to assess your stand and decide whether it's good enough to keep. Um, a stand that is healthy, we would typically see at least five healthy plants per square foot. The healthy plants would be the ones um, that don't have root disease at the, at the level that I showed. Uh, but it's difficult to evaluate how many plants you have per square foot without digging because crowns can be crowded together, you can have two plants right next to each other. So an easier way to do that is actually to count the stems, because those are easy to count. Um, and in a healthy stand, we want to see greater than 55 stems per square foot. Um, we also want to see in the field no large dead areas. So if you have a stand that meets those characteristics, you're probably going to be fine, because if you have at least this many uh, stems and plants, the uh, the remaining plants will grow um, and get bigger and 
maintain your yield. When you only have uh, 40 to 55 stems per square foot, you're starting to get into the questionable region. And at this point, you should be assessing your root health very uh, stringently to make sure that you don't have those unhealthy plants out there. Because once they reach that level of uh, root damage, they are on their way out. It's just a matter of time before that plant dies. So you have a little bit of fudge time to decide what to do, but you need to be thinking about what you're going to do with that stand. And also you need to evaluate, you know, the total area that is dead in the fudge can. You could have a few very small, very healthy areas, but if 80% of the field is dead, obviously you need to want to do something. Um, and then you need to be thinking about taking an action when your stem count drops below 39 stems per square foot, or you have 50% um, or more of that level three or four root disease, or greater than 50% dead area. So what can you do? Um, basically, I see two options. You can either try and extend the lifespan of that stand by overseeding, or you can replace it. So this slide is going to address what to do with the overseeding idea. Uh, what you cannot do is you cannot try and thicken it up with more alfalfa seed uh, because as most of you probably know, but I always run into a few people that don't, um, alfalfa is uh, toxic to its own seedlings. So you cannot go into a stand that has had alfalfa on it uh, or that currently has alfalfa, living alfalfa in it or that has had alfalfa within the last year uh, and expect to have good success with seeding alfalfa. Uh, however, we can overseed with other things. So if you're trying to get uh, like one more year of, uh, of forage out of it, some options are overseeding with annual ryegrass uh, at about five to 10 pounds per acre or small grains. So you could use, uh, most typically you use oats or triticale, but other things are also possible uh, at a rate of 50 to 75 pounds per acre. And what that does is help uh, all of these things it fills in the gaps in the stand where the alfalfa has died out so that you can boost your yield that way. Obviously, it's not going to have the same forage quality as a pure alfalfa stand. Uh, things that might last two years um, are, include red clover at six to 10 pounds per acre or Italian ryegrass at five to 10. Now note the difference between annual ryegrass, which is a true annual and Italian. Um, Annual ryegrass will die after it flowers, and Italian ryegrass will not flower in the first year, um, so it will not die until the second year. So you'll get two years worth of growth out of it. If you want to keep that stand in for a longer period of time, maybe three or more years, you can uh, consider adding a perennial grass like orchard grass, um, tall or meadow fescues, um, or timothy. Those will not give you as much boosted yield in the first year that you plant them because they're a little slow to get going. And they will also progressively take over your alfalfa stand. So each year you will have more grass and less alfalfa. But it can give you some more time before you need to replant them. And the second option is to take out the alfalfa stand and just rotate to a different forage or a different crop completely. Uh, so some of the options there are if you want to um, maintain a pure stand of legumes, so you're using it as a protein source, maybe you're feeding to dairy cows or whatever, um, your two options are uh, using red clover um, or an annual clover. And the two annual clovers that have some potential in Michigan are Burseem and Crimson. 
uh, we just finished up a research trial uh, that evaluated clovers across the state as a as a short-term forage crop and Bersim clover actually yielded more than red clover uh, did in its seeding year uh, in the southern part of the state. So say if you're south of about the middle of the lower peninsula that can be a good option but it didn't perform very well far north. Um, in the farther north parts of the state crimson clover was a better yielder um, and still none of these are going to give you the yield of alfalfa. Um, a pure standard red clover or bursine might give you uh, maybe in best case scenario a couple of cuttings and two to three tons of dry matter but it will um, it will take up the space for that year when you um, are waiting for the alfalfa autotoxicity to dissipate and it will give you a high protein forage. So some of your other options, um, if you don't need the protein, include short season silage corn. Obviously that's an easy choice. Um, oats or spring triticale can work um, and can make uh, good feed for dairy cows at certain stages of their production cycle. Oats and peas actually can make, a, together, planted together, can make a pretty good dairy forage. Um, another option that's a warm season plant include the sorghum family, which is our forage sorghum, sudex, or Sudan grass. Uh, and these work out kind of nice in the system because these actually need a really warm soil uh, to uh, grow well. And so we don't usually plant those until June anyway. So you're really not behind at all in terms of thinking about getting those in for this year. Um, they are a little bit of a gamble in Michigan because they really like hot weather and sometimes we don't get weather that's hot enough for them to meet their yield potential. Another warm season option is pearl millet, uh, which is managed similarly to the sorghums. And, uh, and teff might be an option, it's particular year if, if you are a hay producer. Um, a lot of these other options up here make better silage than they do hay. Um, but teff is a annual hay crop that's actually in pretty good demand in the horse hay market. So if you found yourself with a shortage of hay ground, that might be a good option um, for that rotation year. And I just want to finish up uh, with a little plug here for our Agriculture Innovation Day, which is going to be July 26th this year on campus. And our focus is going to be uh, precision technology that pays. This is going to be aimed at, uh, unfortunately, at row crops and not alfalfa, but that's probably partly because we don't have a lot of precision technology yet that applies to alfalfa. Uh, but it'll be a great program. <clears throat> you should all come. And then thank you uh, for attending our virtual breakfast. Here are our sponsors. Uh, MSU Extension Field Crops, the field crop team puts this on. Kim, we have a question. Okay. And it's a management question as much as anything. Okay. Uh, what is the best way to convert a fallow field uh, without tillage or a drill into a Roundup Ready alfalfa field? Without a drill. <laughs> I, well, right. that's challenging. <laughs> Let me think about this. So it, it, you while you're thinking it. about yeah. Kim, while you're thinking about that, let me just say that for anyone that joined us after we started, there is... You just cut the, out, Phil. I'm sorry. In the chat box, there is a, an evaluation 
that I'm going to send to everyone. And if you would be kind enough to fill that out, that would be great. Just click on the chat box, and there will be a link on the right-hand side of your computer, I believe. All right, Kim, go ahead. Well, I'm thinking about that. Is The problem with alfalfa is that it is really not one of our better – a lot of legumes – will establish pretty well if you just broadcast them. Alfalfa is not one of those. Uh, it is notoriously poor um, to establish it with broadcasting. And without any kind of tillage at all on this field, I think you would have a really hard time getting a nice stand of alfalfa. Um, I would highly recommend to try and figure out a way to get your hands on a drill <laughs> somehow. You can find a neighbor. Some of the conservation districts have drills that they will um, that they will be able to rent. And Kim, another question has come in about alfalfa and the fall buds. Uh, on alfalfa crops that have lost their set of fall buds and are setting new ones this spring, what can those plants be expected to do this year? Can you expect normal yield and second and third cutting? Yeah, you probably will. Well, I, I will modify that. If they are being slow and the roots were also damaged and that's going to slow them down. But if all that happened was that that set of buds got burned off, then basically all you're doing is putting second cut now became first cut. So, you know, it depends mostly on the weather, how alfalfa yields in each cutting. So I would suggest if you think that's happening, go out and dig a few plants and see what the condition of your roots look like. And if they look good, uh, then you're probably just going to expect second and third cutting should be pretty normal. Last question. Uh, can you bale or dry pearl millet? It can probably be done, but it's got a really big fat stem. So it probably, uh, you need good drying weather and you would definitely need to condition it. So, but you can make hay out of it. Okay. But, you know, um, it's always challenging in Michigan to get hay dry. One more follow-up on the on the alfalfa buds. Should we delay first cutting? That can be a good method to give your plants a little bit more time to uh, replenish those roots. You could, instead of cutting at late bud, you could go to uh, let it go to uh, one-tenth bloom on that first cutting. Never hurt. Um, you know, hopefully we'll have the ground dry out so that cutting it when you want to cut it will actually be a good option. Appreciate it very much. Thank you for all your information. That was terrific and very timely. We also have Dr. Jeff Andresen on today's virtual breakfast. Jeff is our weather guru, and we're hoping he has good news for us. Jeff? Thanks, Phil. I wish I, we, uh, when we met last week and, and, uh, and talked, there was some thought of some, and, and actually we have had a little bit of improvement, but uh, and, and following up on, on Kim's uh, presentation, it, it, uh, the, I guess the atmosphere is not going to turn off anytime soon in terms of the water. That's a, so that will be a continuing problem, as you can see from my uh, title image here and, and where we've been over much of the last uh, two to three weeks. Uh, but in the overview here, there are some, some reasons for uh, some optimism. We will see warmer temperatures than we've seen in the past. But uh, again, I think the, the biggest issue here uh, meteorologically is that we are looking at a very active weather pattern. We had hoped earlier that maybe a lot of the, what we're going to be dealing with here over the next week it would have been suppressed to our south, uh, or at least out of Michigan. But it looks more and more as we get uh, closer, to, especially to next week, that that will 
not be the case. And I'll show you there are some significant changes in our in our medium range looking out towards the last uh, week to 10 days of May. Uh, but it, all of them point to a very, very active weather pattern, albeit warmer than what we have had. We've, uh, we have seen uh, weather very, very atypical for a long time of spring, more and more like late winter in some ways than early spring. And I, at least I think we may have been we may be moving out of that. We likely will, at least in terms of temperature. Uh, looking at statistics here, quickly for the last week, uh, and, and as it says, another cool wet week, and this is about the third in a row that we've had here. The precipitation totals on the left. Most of the state uh, saw at least a half an inch. Some areas saw up to two inches of rain, especially as you move up into uh, the Upper Peninsula. Uh, some areas that are a little luckier, you can see in the southeast uh, part of the state less than, uh, some cases less than a quarter of an inch collectively for the week. So quite a bit of a range. One thing that did not vary, though, across uh, both the state and the region here on the right side, our mean temperatures have uh, remained far below where they should be at this time of the year. Most of Michigan, three to six degrees Fahrenheit below normal on average. Uh, and note here, not too far off to our south and west over the central Corn Belt, some areas as much as 10 degrees Fahrenheit below normal. Uh, our soil temperatures also lagging well, well behind where they typically are. And uh, we mentioned this before, but a lot of this has been due to very, very cloudy days. We don't get much sunshine, and that's a big part of warming up uh, our landscape at this time of the year. And not, not also to mention the, the water. It takes a lot of energy to evaporate water. We've got both of those. So as a result, our, our soil temperatures, air temperatures have have lagged way behind or below where they, they should be. We're currently now, for most of the state, if we look at seasonal degree day totals back to the beginning of, of, of March, so not uh, looking here at, a, at an overwintering crop, but we are a solid one to two weeks behind normal climatologically for most of the state, especially the northern part of the state. It's a little bit less as you go down towards the Indian and Ohio borders, maybe uh, more in the order of four or five days calendar days behind normal, but the northern part of the state is solidly two weeks or even more uh, behind normal. So that said, where are we headed? Well, our weather on our weather map this morning here, we have one weather system, the next weather system to uh, approach here from the north and west. Uh, this has some scattered showers with it down here in the lower right. I've uh, uh, inserted a recent radar pick, and you can see some of those showers just starting to make their way or making their way into uh, portions of the Upper Peninsula. That will continue during the day. That that area will sink to the south and east, but I think one uh, important thing, they will weaken uh, this time of the day as they move south and east uh, and set the stage for a very, very active, uh, almost a daily threat of, uh, of rainfall. We're going to see this uh, looking at this frontal system here. This will move across the state here later uh, today and tonight and basically stall west to east across uh, across the Great Lakes region and across Michigan and uh, and stay there for several days. And as you've probably seen many, many times, these frontal systems act as focusing mechanisms for, uh, for rainfall, showers and thunderstorms. One thing we will see also over time, uh, even though it's not the case right now, but we will see increasing uh, southerly and southwesterly flow here. The Gulf of Mexico will gradually open up, especially as we move into the weekend. That's always a, a major issue because uh, it's a source of most of our water vapor for precipitation. So the rainfall that we're looking at generally here over the next couple of days, and I'll, I'll talk about that just here in a second, 
but uh, it will not be heavy. But as we move into the latter part of the weekend, I think we could see some heavier, uh, heavier rainfall. So uh, here for the next 24 hours, we will be looking at this weather system currently out uh, over uh, well portions of Ontario and Minnesota, make its way into Michigan and then stall out. And I'll move to tomorrow morning. You can see by tomorrow morning, here's the frontal system that, uh, that passes through the state. We'll see probably about a 40 or 50% chance of rainfall here, during mostly during the afternoon and early evening hours tonight, uh, a little bit higher as you go down to the southwest. There is a possibility tonight that we could see a few strong thunderstorms in the southwestern part, especially of lower Michigan. The primary threat there would be high winds, maybe a little bit of hail, but I think most of most of the heavy weather with this particular system will remain to the south of Michigan. And uh, aerial coverage of precipitation, probably uh, looking at about half of the area. There will be many areas that, that get little or uh, much less. Uh, but by tomorrow, uh, we will see a little bit of high tr pressure trying to build in, at least temporarily, across the state. So for at least northern parts of the state, we should see a cloudy and cool day, very, very, very similar to what we've seen over much of the last couple of weeks. Uh, the, there will be a lingering chance, though, for, as you can see here indicated in the map, for uh, the threat of some rainfall, uh, mostly scattered showers across far southern points, parts of the state. And then by the uh, late afternoon tomorrow, this, uh, this frontal boundary will begin to move north once again, and you're going to see a pattern here because it's going to happen again this weekend. But as this, this frontal boundary begins to move north again, we will see the threat of rainfall increase from southwest to northeast across the state mostly by late tomorrow afternoon and into tomorrow evening. That's the next after today. That's the next threat uh, for precipitation. And I'll move here to Saturday morning. Uh, you can see the not much changes on the map other than the area for uh, or the threat of precipitation grows, uh, mainly spreads to the north. So we will see another round, as I mentioned, uh, late Friday into early Saturday. And then the same as possible even during the day on Saturday. Uh, there will be... Uh, in, chances will decrease the farther north in the state you go. So I think there will be portions of northern Michigan that uh, that remain mostly dry or come out of this with uh, very little or no precept. Uh, rainfall totals, though, will increase as you go south. And uh, the next major system, I mentioned the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, here you can start to see this pattern, the high pressure over the southeast with return southerly flow over much of the Midwest. This frontal boundary here will, during the day Saturday, will move northward as a warm front, and uh, and we'll see this low pressure system ultimately make its way as as the, has been the case for much of the late winter and early spring. It'll move right through the Great Lakes region, probably over the Straits area by uh, by late Sunday. That will put Lower Michigan or much of Lower Michigan in the warm sector of the system by Sunday, and we will look at least for southern parts of the state. We are going to be looking. Uh, at a couple days of some early summer weather. I think even that will be the case today. We, we could see, especially if we break out of the clouds, we could see some of uh, the southern couple tiers of counties especially make it up into the upper 70s and push 80 degrees for a high. That That is something that's not happened that often. It will be significantly cooler than that, though, as you move north up into the northern lower and into the UP. So big temperature gradient across Michigan. The same will be true uh, here this weekend, especially on Sunday we could make another run at 80 degrees, I think, on uh, on Sunday. But there will be definitely an increasing threat for precipitation by Sunday. So we move on in, in sort of into the medium range. This is a three-day outlook. Here's that next low-pressure system by Sunday morning. 
with the warm front here. This warm front will move south to north during the day on Sunday, and this low pressure is expected to move right uh, well through Wisconsin, up through the Straits area, and into Ontario by uh, late Sunday. But there will be showers and thunderstorms develop in the warm sector here, again, especially across the lower peninsula late in the day and into the evening. It's also possible, if, you, if we look at this, uh, this particular forecast, there could be some severe weather associated with this. This is a typical uh, springtime pattern across the Midwest. But one thing is for sure, we, hopefully some of the severe weather will uh, remain south of, of Michigan, but it's a possibility. But one thing that is likely is we will see significant rainfall before the end of the weekend. And uh, how much rainfall here, looking at the next week, uh, you can see it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of colors on this map, unfortunately, and we've, we've seen a lot, uh, a lot this particular spring. But uh, totals ranging generally from at least half an inch in the far southeastern part of lower Michigan, that would be the least, uh, up to well more than over an inch, especially across uh, the western lower and up into the upper peninsula, even uh, some cases maybe two inches are possible. Uh, and in terms of when would this fall, well, a lot of this collectively will be over the next few days. But I guess one positive thing is after the system I mentioned on Sunday and into early Monday, it does right now look like Monday and Tuesday will be drier, uh, mostly fair weather and a little bit cooler. Uh, the next chance for significant rainfall probably around Wednesday of next week, and there might be another system beyond that. But uh, as I go back, uh, or moving into the, the medium range, forecast guidance here, there's one very, very consistent theme here, and that is a change in the upper air pattern across North America. Uh, note that we have had for much of the last couple of weeks, we've had northwesterly flow aloft, and that's led to our cooler than normal weather with many, many uh, weather systems or disturbances embedded in that. Well, we see a, we are looking next week at a, a big change, and that trough will uh, migrate out to the west, so we'll have troughing over the west and then ridging over the eastern part of the, and the central part of the U.S., including Michigan. Uh, that's a, uh, there's a couple things to note about this. Uh, there will be a very active storm track right here through the middle of the country, including Michigan. That's been true for, uh, for much of the late winter and early spring. And along with this, you can see a conti expected continuation of above normal precipitation. That's obviously not good news. On the more positive side, with this ridge here, we will see the development of above normal temperatures. And I, and I think this is a very, very good bet for us, uh, the warmer and what are the normal scenario that looks like it will be likely here uh, probably for the remainder of, of May. The uh, 8 to 14 day outlook is virtually the same. Uh, the uh, warmer than normal temperatures cover a little bit larger area of the Great Lakes region, but it also does unfortunately call for above normal precipitation. One last thing about this, uh, and before I wrap up, the uh, forecasters uh, from the Climate Prediction Center at NOAA that issue this have a, a confidence index that they issue or they, they provide with all of these outlooks Monday through Friday. And it's a, a numerical index, one through five, with one very low confidence for the given the time of the year and, and the season, et cetera, and five being very high confidence. It's worth noting that both the six to 10 day and eight to 14 day outlooks, and these were issued late, late yesterday afternoon, they both have fives. That's not very, uh, that's not very common uh, to see that. Typically, we see threes once in a while, a four, and in situations with, with transitions, we'll see a two. But uh, we don't often see both of those outlooks have a five, but that, is, that has been the, the case right now, and it was also the case yesterday. So as I, I mentioned, there is very, very strong 
confidence or high confidence in this particular outlook for the rest of May. So the bottom line is we are looking at uh, some warmer temperatures, but unfortunately many, many chances for uh, precipitation here at least over the next week and probably through uh, the end of, of uh, the month uh, before a change. So more more challenges uh, ahead. Uh, timing is going to be very important. Uh, and uh, uh, at least hopefully with warmer temperatures, we will be, the evaporation rates uh, will be a little bit higher than they've, they've been. That's, uh, that's about all I have. Does, does anyone have any questions here this morning on our weather outlook? Jeff, I don't see anything in the chat box. So we'll say thanks a lot for your weather forecast. <laughs> we, were hoping for, uh, we were hoping for some dry weather. Yeah, sorry, it wasn't a little more optimistic. All right. Well, that concludes our virtual breakfast for this morning. Let me just remind you that next week at 7 a.m., we'll have Dennis Pennington sharing his information about fungicides in wheat. And Martin Nagelkirk, our newly returned from his vacation educator, will be joining us as host. And also, in your chat box... We have an evaluation that we'd like you to complete if possible, and it should show up at the bottom of the chat box. Again, thank you, everyone, for joining us today, and stay safe out there uh, whenever you get into the tractors or any type of equipment this spring. Thank you, and have a great day.